Hello and welcome to the Sunshine House podcast. My name is Annie Louise and I'm a children's author, writing mentor, and I run courses through my website, zannielouise.com. If you are a writer for children, come by and check out the courses. I have one called the Writing for Children Masterclass Program, which is a series of lots of little mini courses that you can do in your own time, in your own homes. But you can also jump onto our monthly meetings where we help keep you accountable and keep you company and give you friendships and keep you connected. But I also bring in some guest speakers from the industry so you can ask them directly your questions. So editors, creative directors, lots of people from all different aspects of publishing. And that's a really great opportunity for you to learn more as well. So it's only $129 to sign up for the year. Insane amount of stuff you get for that, as well as those monthly meetings to help you stay connected. So today we are chatting in the podcast to Mary Anastasio, who is a really interesting person because she has multi-multi-hats from all different aspects of the business. So she is a children's picture book author. She began in self-publishing, so she knows about all of that stuff. She has also got a design background and her picture book was picked up by Larrikin House and signed up with them. But Mary ended up working for them as the head of creative. So she is now helping other picture book creators produce their picture books and take them to final art and publication, which is really interesting. And she also helps authors and illustrators with the marketing side of things as well. So she's multifaceted. So it's a really great chat uh, to help you understand how those picture books get made at that back end, some of the things to think about visually and And also some of the things to think about in terms of marketing. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mary recorded today on Bunjalung land in northern New South Wales. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends and your networks and leave us a review or rating on your podcast app. And if you would like to sponsor an episode, that would be lovely. You can drop by my website, zannielouise.com slash podcast and find out how that all works. So let's have a listen to the conversation with Mary. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the Sunshine House. Thanks, Annie. Lovely to be here. So you're down in Melbourne, is that right? I am actually in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. Yes. Oh, fantastic. I love Melbourne. It's such a vibrant, great city and so much great publishing activity happens down in Melbourne. So I'm a yeah. little bit jealous of you being down there. Well, we did do Kid Lit Vic this weekend, which was really exciting. That was a lot of fun. So yeah, the first time yeah. face-to-face in quite a while. So that was great. Oh, yeah. how amazing. And what capacity are you at Kid Lit Vic? Are you there as a publisher? This year, no. So previous years I was doing assessments, but they were online. This year I actually got the opportunity to just be there and to just network and mingle with people and get to know a few people, meet some industry insiders, which was lovely. That's so cool. So, yeah, it was was a very relaxed weekend for me. Very nice. Well, tell us a little bit about you for those people who don't know you because you work at Larrikin, but you're also an author. Tell us what you do. I am originally a self-published author. Most people would know that. So the very first book that I produced was um, I Want to Be a Rockstar and that kind of I went through that self-publishing journey with Anil Tortop and her husband Ozan from Tadar Books. So that was a really lovely process. And then I was lucky enough to kind of be found 
via an online interview that I'd done on a mummy blog and James found that interview serendipitously and reached out to me and said, you know, I'm interested in potentially uh, re-signing your book if you're not doing anything with it. So he did that, which was really exciting, and he signed me for three in that series. So uh, the I Want to Be series is I want to be a rock star, I want to be a movie star, and I want to be a sports star. So those all three both came out. And then, you know, the pushy pushy me realised that his branding wasn't so great. So I kind of said, you know, not sure about this branding for Larrikin House. How about I have a go at doing that for you? Um, and I ended up redesigning his branding and it kind of all came into fruition from there. So I sort of took over designing picture books. And uh, originally my role was as a creative director, but I'm, I'm now sort of freelancing a little bit. But my role essentially is uh, manuscript lands on my desk and I kind of take it over from there, I find the illustrator for it, do the design work, do the artwork, and then send it off to print. So wow! in the last three years we've produced, I think, just over 65 picture books, 65, 70 picture books, which is really exciting for a for an indie publisher but yes yeah that's amazing so did you ever see yourself being a publisher look at you look I think from a very early age I always I was always writing so I always wanted to do something in publishing but you know I've got a marketing background so I write commercial copy for a lot of different people lots of different clients anyway so um, did I ever think that I was going to be designing other people's picture books? No, but it's like one of those things that's become a bit of a joyous, serendipitous dream job, really. So, yeah, I'm really, really lucky. That's awesome. What yeah. sort of things are you thinking about when you're rebranding Larrikin or designing a picture book? Who do you have in mind and what are some of the principles that you're thinking about? Well, I think the thing with Larrikin, when I was rebranding Larrikin, it came down to just the name. And, and I think mm. for those people that haven't met James or those people that have met James, they know exactly what kind of a Larrikin he actually is. <laughs> Danny, Danny refers to him as a loose cannon, which is really cute because it is, he is, he's kind of, you know, he's a bit silly, he's a bit out there, he's kind of gregarious in his personality. So as far as a brand was concerned for Larrikin House, I kind of wanted something that was going to be reflective of him and the ideology behind the mm-hmm. brand. Um, so, you know, the smiley, winky face was just a natural kind of idea. And then the bright yellow, I, I sort of looked at the industry and I was looking at kind of the, the colours that were out there. And what I realised was that there was a lot of blues and a lot of blacks and potentially there was a spot of red here and there, but there was no one that was doing a yellow. Mm. And yellow is such a really happy colour and it's Mm. um, one of those colours that children naturally gravitate towards because it's sunshine and it's, you know, bright and happy and joyful. So, yeah, the branding for Larrikin House kind of came from a combination of James's personality and the idea of, you know, sunshine and brightness. Well, that makes um, so much sense to me coming from the Sunshine House. So, <laughs> well, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is a bright and happy thing. Uh, so when a book lands on your desk, what's the yeah. process? Okay, so the process essentially is it lands on my desk, it's been approved by the editorial team, and then it's up to me to find an illustrator, for example, that I think is going to best reflect the narrative. And what happens usually is that I will either start looking through my Instagram catalogue of, you know, 50,000 illustrators. I was joking with someone on the weekend that if you looked at my telephone, there's all all you'll find is screen grabs of illustrators' (laughs) folios from Instagram. There's literally no photos of my kid or anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like that. But, um, 
yeah, so then it becomes my responsibility or my job to, to find the right person to um, translate that narrative. And normally what happens is I will choose two or three options um, and I will go to the team as well as the author and say, these are the people that I am putting forward for this particular manuscript and I'll give them the recommendation for the one that I think that I would like that I think is going to do the best job and nine times out of ten we're all in agreement so then from there I essentially do author care and illustrator care and manage that process from you know pencil sketches through to you know color roughs once the um, color illustrations are completed it all gets handed over to me and I do the design work and then prepare the files for print Wow, a lot of work. And then I do the social media tiles and the marketing components that are required for the author to then go off and do publicity. Wow. Well, I want to talk about the marketing end of things, but before we get there, it'd be great to understand a little more about, I guess, that pairing of the author and the illustrator, because people coming from outside of the industry are often really surprised by the fact that the author doesn't get to pick the illustrator, do they? So what, what what are you thinking about in that pairing? Is it uh, just the tone of the text or what, what goes through your mind when you're looking for that illustrator, that perfect illustrator? Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing that you say that, that the author doesn't very often get an opportunity to choose the illustrator. And, you know, having been on the other side of publishing now where I've, I've had to kind of hand over that creative licence to someone else, it actually does get tricky. So I do, like, fully understand that feeling. Um, we try at Larrikin to include the author as much as possible in that decision-making process, but sometimes we have to override, you know, they might, for example, have an idea in their head of who they'd want to use and we'll try and get get that person if we think that they're going to be appropriate. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, at the end of the day, the publisher wants to produce the best possible book for you as an author and for us as a publishing house. So there has to be a level of trust in that process for the author. And when we're looking for someone that's going to align with that narrative, we're looking for somebody who's essentially going to create the energy that that the manuscript actually conveys. So if it's a really happy kind of story, we're sort of looking for people that are going to be able to um, produce that sort of dynamic, strong, colourful, you know, attention-grabbing kind of creative if, we're, if it's a manuscript that's a bit softer or a little bit more gentle, we might look for someone who does something in watercolour or in pencil, you know what I mean? So it's usually the narrative that leads the creative brain and I tend to think in pictures anyway. So when a, a manuscript lands on my desk, I can kind of see it straight away which, and then I just have to find an illustrator that matches what's going on in my head. <laughs> matches that vision. Yeah, I've heard other editors speak like that as well talk about unless the manuscript really sets off visually it's probably not the right manuscript for a picture book it has to really become pictures in your head for it to work absolutely that's absolutely true so when you're a writer as well so you can answer this from both aspects uh when you're writing a picture book, my understanding is that so much of the text can actually be shown through the images, can't it, and conveyed whether it's feeling or even action expression. Is there ever a time where you're recommending that the author pull back on text to leave more room for that illustrator to do their thing? By the time it actually lands on my desk, it's gone through editorial already. So mm-hmm. um, that would potentially be Crystal Courage's job. Yep. Uh, she, if she felt that, you know, the narrative could afford to be pulled back a little bit and, you know, illustrative narrative could take over, then I'm sure that that's part of the process of what she does. 
there hasn't actually been any situations where I've come across, you know, a manuscript and gone, mm, there's too much information here, let's, let's let the illustrator do their thing. We kind of let the illustrator do their thing anyway. Um, yeah. From a brief perspective, I usually just hand over the manuscript with a rough pagination of what I think needs to go on what page, but I usually give them creative licence and let them interpret the manuscript as best that they see it. And, you know, it's not for me to hinder that process. It's for me mm. to kind of encourage it and nurture it rather than, mm. you know, be really specific and really tight about what it needs to look like, except for my own books. That's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely relate to that because I've been uh, in, well, experienced both things. So one where the artist is given full creative license and really, yeah. you know, valued in the way that you're talking about. And I've been in situations where a book needs to be made really, really quickly, meet a certain printing deadline. Yeah. And because of that, the editor has taken quite stringent, gone to quite stringent lengths to create a very, very detailed brief. And the effect of that, particularly on a less experienced illustrator, has been that they're a little bit stifled and maybe it's not their best work. And as soon yeah. as the reins come off a little bit, that illustrator is just, and, and we say to them, no, 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 do your thing, do your thing as best you can. And then they have that creative freedom to just yeah. have fun and do what yeah. they do best. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing to observe, actually. Yeah, I find it really difficult to give, like, full direction to people because mm -hmm. I know what it's like when I'm writing, for example, and you know what that's like when you're writing. If you had somebody over your shoulder telling you, oh, that line mm -hmm. doesn't work very well no. or you know, I think you should do this or I think you should do that. It, you're right, it does. It stifles your creative process. So um, I would much rather let an illustrator just go hell for leather and see yeah. what they come up with. And, you know, thankfully all of the books that we've produced are just beautiful, or I think um, that's my opinion. But I you're just think proud. That, yeah, I'm really, really proud of them. I think we've got a really lovely stable of illustrators on board and mm. um, they're really easy to work with. So I don't. I know that I can hand over a brief and trust that I'm going to get something back that's beautiful, even with first-time people that we've worked with. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that selection process is really important. So for a first-time illustrator, maybe someone who has a broad experience as an artist but is coming to picture books for the first time, what yeah. sort of guidance and nurturing are you giving those people? I think having done um, Kid Lit Vic and, you know, doing CYA coming up, um, there's lots of opportunities where, where I've done assessments and I'm kind of looking at folios and sort of saying to people, you know, for me specifically, expression is really important. Mm -hmm. What I tend to do with new time authors is I usually say to them, I really need you to go and, you know, just research, research books, open up lots of children's books, have a look at what people are actually doing. But, you know, get really, really, really good at practising expression and conveying emotion because, in the picture book genre, especially, you know, early readers and, you know, up to the ages of, you know, four or five, when children can't actually read for themselves and they're being mm. read too, the visual narrative is really important. And if you can't convey, um, you know, expression and emotion in a, in a character's face, mm. that child's not really going to understand that visual narrative. Yeah, from a, you know, encouragement point of view, that's usually what I say, go and practice and play and, you know, have a look at what other people are doing and just get really, really, really good at expression. And, and Oh, that's great yeah. advice. So you talked a little moment ago about your role as a marketer and in marketing. I know you've got some great advice for people who are 
starting to put their books out in the world. Do you have any hot tips for those people who maybe have their first book out in the world? Where should they be starting? Is it on social media, on a website? What do you recommend? Well, it's interesting because um, there was some conflicting information coming from Vic, which I thought was really interesting. So some publishers will say that they're not interested in social media at all and other publishers will tell you that, you know, that's the first thing that they look at when they're potentially going to sign an artist. From my perspective, I think social media is important because it gives you an opportunity to build a tribe. So there's a marketing rule that suggests that somebody needs to be exposed to you seven times before they make a decision to buy So if you're working by that potential rule, then the more activity that you actually do on Instagram and the more that you can actually, or Instagram, you know, TikTok, whatever platform you choose, Facebook, whatever platform you choose, the larger your audience, the more exposed they are to your brand and your style of writing so that when you've actually got something that you're ready to promote and sell, you've got a captive audience that know who you are and they're already familiar with your style of writing. So yes, social media is really important. I would say a website is really Mm -hmm. important. And the reason for that is because, again, publishers will actually go to your website and have a look, get a bit of a background into who you are and, you know, what your philosophy is and what your style of writing is. Yeah, those two things I think are really important. But, you know, um, the other thing that came out of Kidlit, which I think is really, really important, uh, is the networking aspect. So going out and reaching out to, you know, your local bookstores and getting to know them and, you know, not necessarily doing the hard sell, but just getting to know them and, you know, becoming part of the writing community, whether that's, you know, part of your writers group or the local schools and getting to know teachers and librarians and those sorts of people that are going to help you grow your profile as you produce books over a period of time. Mm. Well, one of the consistent themes through nearly all these conversations and in our Facebook group as well is how supportive the community is. So everyone's very interested in lifting each other up. So if you've got that little tribe, you know, they will sell your book for you because they're proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that we forget sometimes is, yes, as authors, we kind of develop these tribes. um, And a lot of times you've got lots of, you know, your your own co-authors or author friends, you know, within within your group. But it's really important to think beyond that because Mm. you've got your um, people that are industry people and they will only, you know, they can help sell your book so much, but you really need to start thinking outside of that. And how do you kind of reach out to the audience beyond that? Like how do you Mm. find the the mums that are making those decisions? How do you get onto the mummy bloggers? You know, how do you get onto podcasts and things like that? So it's about developing, you know, your commercial tribe as well, Mm. you know, the the mums, the kids, those that audience is even more important because they're the ones that are going to go to the bookshops requesting, you know, for that bookshop to bring your book in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have the support of, you know, the community, but it's also very important to kind of look beyond that. That's true. So do you have any advice or suggestions for how to reach those commercial audiences? Yeah, that comes down to your own publicity and what you're prepared to do from, you know, um, your own marketing perspective. So, yes, it's all about, you know, developing either giveaways or getting onto podcasts, um, finding mummy bloggers or influencers that you can collaborate with who have got a larger audience than you. Um, There's all sorts of different ways that you can actually do that, but it's, you know, about making sure that you're committed to actually doing that because sometimes we find that we've had, you know, authors come on board and they're really excited that they're, book is about to be published 
but then they fall over when it comes to publicity or they're not necessarily prepared to do the publicity component or they feel like they're a little bit too shy to kind of put themselves out there. Mm. And that makes it a little bit difficult because from a publicity point of view or from a marketing point of view, most publishers will tell you that it's a collaborative effort between the author and the publisher to kind of get their book out. So if you're not prepared to, you know, tread the boards and get out there, then there's only so much that the publisher can do for you. Because mm. you're you're an author as well. So what what have you done as an author that's worked for you particularly, do you think? I actually do a lot of things. So when Rockstar first came out from a self-publishing point of view, I think I've said this a couple of times before, but I even went to the extent of hiring a, a PR agency and they oh, wow. took, mm. yeah, they took samples of that book and and literally you know, delivered it to lots of high-profile celebrities and, mm. you know, people that were in the music industry. I did that for um, Rockstar, but I not necessarily have the funds to do that for any of the other ones. But what I do do is um, I create media kits. So, for example, when Jimmy Bottoms came out just recently, I produced 45 media kits that had um, the Jimmy Bottoms book in it, but it also had lots of other things. So, it, like, it had, a fart, it had fart bombs and it had... Mm cushions and it had candy and it had you know all of these fart related or fart themed things in it so I created this little show bag and that went out to all of the influencers that I knew knew mm. the book reviewers that I know so you know he got quite a bit of exposure I've also done quite a few podcasts in the lead up to you know the launch review copies get sent out to people of influence and people that I know are going to potentially promote it for me so, yeah, lots of different activity that you could be doing. Oh, that's exciting. So you have some books of your own coming out later this year? I do. Jimmy Bottoms came out earlier this year uh, in January mm-hmm. um, through Five Mile Press and uh, The Art of Making Friends is due for all this, I believe, June sometime. Okay. So that's Great. exciting. And Julius Squeezer is in various stages of production. <laughs> I so love he, that title. Yeah, thank you. He's pretty cute. But, um, yeah, that's that's a, that was another interesting, you know, when we talk about illustrators and things, I think it's probably safe to say that um, the first round of illustrations that came through were a little bit, we weren't quite sure about them. So we've kind of gone back to the drawing board and we're potentially looking at another illustrator for that particular mm. story because the first one wasn't necessarily fitting correctly mm. wasn't interpreting the map the narrative as well as they could have mm-hmm. so yeah that one's that one's in production at the moment so I'm a bit excited about him because he's cute oh that's awesome <laughs> story. oh well so so exciting about all your new books and so lovely to get to talk to you about your experience behind the publishing curtain because yeah. I know you know for us writers and illustrators you know on this side of the fence it's really hard often to know what goes on the other side. And you are very fortunate to have the experience of both. So well, I'm very grateful to have been in, invited onto your podcast. So thank you for having me. Oh, so great. And I'm excited you'll be dropping by the Sunshine House course as well. And getting our students at part of the Sunshine House Masterclass will actually get to ask you their questions as well. So you'll be there next month, which is very exciting. They can ask me anything they like. I'm more than happy to be there. I'm very excited, actually. Oh, that's lovely. Well, thank you again, Mary, and so great to talk. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Sunshine House podcast. This episode was produced by Virtual Creatrix, 
Music was written by Gregor Hutchka and produced by Brett Canning. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, a rating and share with your friends. All of those wonderful things are much appreciated and help us find new listeners. If you are a creator yourself and would like to tap into a very supportive community, you can search up the Sunshine House Writers and Creatives on Facebook. We will let you in the door and inspire you, support you, all of those wonderful things. I have a new course available called the Sunshine House Children's Book Course, which is a collection of skills and knowledge to cover all sorts of aspects of the children's book industry. If you're interested in checking that out and doing a course from the comfort of home, have a look at my website, zannilouise.com. It's been wonderful spending this time with you today. Have a lovely, sunshiny day.